1: Welcome into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker and former Tennessee pitcher Will Heflin, in early August edition of the podcast uh, because Tennessee's offseason ran long. I know it's in the, it's in the middle of uh, fall camp with, with football. We're, we're 24 days away from it being football time in Tennessee. Uh, basketball just wrapped up a three-game exhibition tour. Uh, to Italy in which it looked really really good and I am really really high on that team and uh, at some point this week Wes and I uh, will have a basketball podcast to to give some takeaways and and thoughts on uh, the team and and how they performed over in Italy Uh, so we've got a football one coming tomorrow after scrimmage number one so honestly not sure when that basketball pod is coming but it's it's coming at some point uh, this week Uh, but hey we, we're committed to covering Tennessee baseball 24-7, 365, and that's what we are here to do because since the last time we potted about baseball, there's there's been a lot that has happened. I, me and Will were texting before we got on here, and, and it was because I was trying to remember everything that has taken place since the last time we recorded, which was a... MLB draft recap, and mm-hmm. since then Luke Holman decided to go to LSU and not Tennessee. So we need to talk some some starting pitching and and what that could potentially look like. Uh, Luke Hill, I, I teased him a little bit uh, on that last podcast as well. Tennessee elected not to take him, which I think is pretty easy to see why when you saw that Willie Bloomquist did not hold back on his comments about Mr. Hill uh, after leaving Arizona State. Um, but he he did not come to Tennessee, obviously. And Tennessee has not added a shortstop, so we need to talk shortstop plans. Zane Denton, he has announced that he is coming back. How does that impact himself and Billy Amick? Kirby, the stash, announced that he's also coming back, and uh, Tennessee added a left-handed pitcher from Cal kind of out of nowhere. So we have plenty to discuss here on the podcast, and before we do, we will check in on the W's, Wes and Will. Wes and Will. Well, I, I just need to combine the names. I, I even tied my own tongue up there. Can't even say Will, a, a four-letter name that I've said a million times in my life because I have several friends named Will. Since, since I butchered your name, Will, I'll ask you first. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk some Tennessee baseball. And Hey, when you're an everything school such as the University of Tennessee, then it's it's all the time, all the sports, right? So I'm certainly in the camp of excited for football, excited that we're only 24 days away. Um, it was cool to see a little bit of basketball, Tennessee Vols in Europe. Um, but I'm excited to talk Vol baseball because uh, you're right, there's been some some announcements that we thought were coming um, and then just some stuff that that happened and kind of the dust has settled in the transfer portal and we kind of have a general idea of what it's going to look like headed into fall ball here in a couple of weeks. Um, so excited to to dig into that, but other than that, man, I'm good. Just living in Knoxville as always and enjoying the good weather outside of the uh, near tornado that ran through uh, earlier this week. So anybody that was affected by that, um, thoughts and prayers there. But Wes, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Speaking of the uh, the the damage, I've got a pretty large tree uh, strewn across my backyard now. That was uh, it was my neighbor's tree. I guess he gave it to me uh during the storm because it is it, it, it was there and now it's over here across the fence. So we're gonna have to get that cleaned up and uh got a got a busy week. Uh, lots of football stuff going on. Um haven't just got power back at the house for like two like forty eight hours, so that's nice. Um got the uh uh, unfortunately i gotta miss thursday scrimmage stuff um my, my son hank were we thought we were done with the kidney stuff we're not we got to go back in for more tests and probably more another surgery or two there so that sucks but uh we're gonna gotta do that thursday so i'll miss some of the scrimmage stuff there but um i'm trying to think of something more positive after saying those couple things the cubs don't suck maybe um they're just average which is much better than it has been. So they're right at that frustrating point where they're not good, but they're not bad. But I can't figure out what they are exactly, so uh, that's kind of frustrating. But it's better than just being total crap, uh, which which had been the case for a while. So a step in the right direction. So there's a more positive thing. And football camps always got plenty of news. Uh, baseball's plenty of news. Basketball's plenty of news. There, dude, we got tons to talk about just with baseball. It's been a million things have happened uh, since the last podcast.
1: Yes, and and we are not acknowledging Major League Baseball on this podcast because I hate everything. Uh, other than Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole, I, I hate everything about the New York Yankees in, in 2023. So what what, what, what quickly, about Giancarlo
0: Stanton walking home the other day? By the way, that, we, we that was one of the most quickly, humorous things I've seen in a long time. I'm not, gonna not going to not mention that. Ben,
1: quickly move on from from Major League Baseball uh, and, and discuss Tennessee baseball, West, because you're going to you're going to get me irritated. He walked uh, home. He
0: walked from third to home and got thrown out. He's not acknowledging. He you.
1: Walked. I'm not. I'm not acknowledging you. I, I'm tossing you. I'm I'm tossing you the 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 ball. I'm I'm going to pass the ball back to you here because I, I think the biggest storyline. Because again, I'm I'm ignoring you. Uh, the biggest storyline I think right now, although we do have a lot to talk about, I, I think the biggest storyline of the things we need to discuss uh, is that Zane Denton is is coming back again. We need to talk sh- starting pitching. We we need to talk shortstop. Uh, but I I think the the biggest thing, the the biggest development since we last spoke is is that Zane Denton. Uh, is coming back. He obviously did not get drafted. And to my surprise, I'm I'm kind of surprised that he did not sign as an undrafted free agent. Uh, I believe I mentioned this on the last podcast. I, I thought that he would just because he wasn't asking for a ton, uh, which made me think reading just between the lines, not having any inside knowledge, that he, he would uh, essentially kind of take anything thrown his way. Um, but the good news for Tennessee – uh, obviously for Zane, you, you wish he would have gotten a an opportunity professionally. Um, but for Tennessee, it's a great thing. Uh it, it may it may cause some headaches for for Tony Vitello when it comes to riding out the lineup game in and, and game out, but but those are good problems to have because y- you you take a two seventy hitter with sixteen jacks and and some of the most impressive postseason hits that that have ever occurred. Uh, in the history of Tennessee baseball, you take that back in, in your lineup all day, every day, Wes. Yeah, you do,
0: and 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 again, there's things that that haven't gone perfectly for Tennessee in the past month, and we'll talk about all that, obviously. But but getting Denton back is huge, and you know people talk about maybe causing a headache, man. I dude, it, we're sitting here in August. Like I, I wouldn't. To me, it's nothing but a good thing because you get to that problem. If it's still there, I mean, you can figure out how to position those guys with who's in the field, who's DHing, what kind of matchups are you playing. I I think for Denton, I I don't know why I always kind of felt like he would be back. I just did. You had more inside knowledge than I did on that situation. I just always got the sense that whatever he was gonna be offered was not gonna be the total package that he could get for coming back to Tennessee and having another year in college, having another year where you're probably after those postseason ABs, you're probably going to have a nice chunk of NIL money. I I imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're a local, you're not a local kid, but close enough in state kid. um, with some of those big plays, I don't know how much different of a prospect he'll be a year from now than he is now. I think he kind of is who he is as a player, which is fine. He's a very, very good player. Um, but you don't look at those tools and go, oh, look at all this upside. Like, he kind of is who he is, and what he is is good. And Tennessee having that bat back in the lineup um, is huge, and you'll figure out where to position everybody later, but getting that guy back in the lineup, I mean, I I, I can't imagine. I'm not, like, in Billy Amick's shoes. I'm not in Blake Burke's shoes. I'm not in any of these guys' shoes, right? I, I just think this is a big thing for Tennessee. I think all of them are probably pretty happy about this.
2: Yeah, and it's a guy you get back who's been in the program for a year now. He's been he's played in the SEC for four. He's just a veteran, switch hitting, like could probably play um, another position if needed. It's just at, at this point when you're when you're building a roster, you need as many good players and as many spots as as humanly possible. And you look at the best programs in any sport, and it's not just one through nine it's it's really like one through 14 or 15 um who are all extremely capable and i think to make an omaha run the biggest thing that has to kind of fall your way in terms of luck is health and what you know what better way to combat injuries than just having good players ready to step up when needed so you know he's certainly a guy who i would see in in the lineup day in and day out um but whoever that pushes to the bench um, just makes the team deeper in, in that sense.
1: It does. And I, I I know people want answers immediately as to what does this mean for, for Zane? Like where's Zane going to play? Where, where's Billy Amick playing? I know people want those answers immediately. And and this also kind of applies to our, our starting pitching conversation and, and our shortstop conversation that, that we're going to have. There's no answers right now. There's just not. I know people don't want to hear that, but good options uh, though.
0: Good options, just not
1: answers. Fall ball is is really going to 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 tell uh, and be a, a precursor for for what's to come. We're we're just not going to know until we see all of these guys at multiple positions go through fall ball. I, I do think. Uh, with Zane and Billy Amick, I mean, Billy Amick, part of the reason he picked Tennessee is because he was going to be given the opportunity to play third base. Uh, and uh, it's why Tennessee went out and got the bat of Dalton Bargo, went out and got the bat of Ryan Galaney, uh, because they, they didn't want that to get in the way of um billy amick coming to to tennessee him seeing those guys come in and and thinking that uh they're going to be in the way of him playing third base no those guys are are bats and obviously galaney was drafted and signed with the white Sox. but at the time galaney was a bat that could play like four or five positions dalton bargo is a bat that can play four or five positions uh it it was never going to be a situation where those guys blocked him at third base but obviously Zane Denton being a third baseman the last several years and having a lot of SEC experience that could pre- pre- present a situation to where it does block Billy Amick but I don't think that that's going to happen Amick and Denton unless something crazy happens in my mind they're both going to be in the lineup the The question is where I, I would imagine that both work at third base this fall I think you'll see both work at second base as well and, and obviously if those two are working at second base then uh, I think Christian Moore will also get some run in the outfield we've seen Christian Moore get run in the outfield in the past he he did a little bit uh, in 2022 as a true freshman early early in the season uh, and then just kind of stuck to second base and was more of an emergency option uh, in left field and, and mostly so you could try and get his bat in the lineup uh, as a true freshman so and we just saw SEMO go play some outfield uh, with Team USA over the course of the summer. So uh, the outfield may surprise some people, I guess, the, those who don't pay attention on, on a daily basis. But it's not a foreign concept for SEMO. So I, I think you'll see Simo get some run in the outfield. The corner positions, I would think, maybe center field, but I would think more the, the outfield corner positions are more of a home for him. Uh, And and he's still going to work at second, not trying to say that he won't. But I also think that that will allow Denton and Amick to also work at third base uh, and second base. And uh, honestly, I mean, it's really as simple as how the three perform defensively, because all three of those bats are going to be in the lineup. There's no questioning that. Uh, How they they perform defensively over the course of the fall will dictate – where they play in the spring. And so we'll have a better feel uh, once we are going through uh, fall practice and, and get kind of towards Halloween, early November when they go through their orange and white World Series. Wes, I think the main thing for me though, in terms of Zane Denton coming back, I mentioned earlier like 270 and 16 homers. Like those are really, really good numbers, uh, especially with what he did in the postseason. But I'm expecting more from Zane Denton. Uh, not because he has shown that he's a good baseball player, but I, I I think not that I think I know obviously in my head, looking back on last season and realizing that the fall was very difficult for him uh, because of you know, circumstances out of his control, family members yep. passing away friends passing away he got sick a couple of times he just could not find a rhythm in the fall and that kind of led to him getting off to a slow start in the spring and then on top of all those circumstances you heard himself and teammates and and coaches talk about how he was kind of in a shell to start the season and then over the course of the season when he started to perform even better that's when he started to open up and, and come out of his shell even more so I think him just being a, a really good college baseball player, he's going to be comfortable from the jump in the fall, and you would assume that he'll be comfortable to, to start the spring, the, the season. Like, I think we're going to see Zane Denton take it to another level. I do too, Ben. I, I think it's worth noting, though, that his
0: entire career, at least his entire college career, he's been a streaky player, right? And and that that, that doesn't mean, like, all baseball is a streaky sport. So it's not like it's a bad thing if you're a streaky player, but he does. If you look at some of his splits throughout his career, he's had some times where for three or four weeks, he's like, he's one of the best hitters in the league. And then he'll go three or four weeks where he's not hitting much. And a lot of guys, some guys just kind of do it more consistently and that's fine. And some guys do it in bunches and that can be a little frustrating, but when they're on, it's great because you feel like the guy's going to get on every time he comes to the plate. I think as he matures and has another year, all the experience he has, you'd like to think that you get more consistent, right? Like anything we do, like us in our professions, our, our lines of work, like you keep doing something longer and longer, you get more consistent with it. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're a streaky guy, you're going to have those kind of components too. So I think that's fine because when he's on a heater, you can absolutely ride that guy. And, you know, he—he he, you put him in the middle of the lineup, you feel great about it. Good OBP guy too. There's a lot of things that he does. Gives you really good quality of bats, sees pitches. And now, if you have a tremendous amount of depth, if he's having... A rough week or a rough couple weeks, maybe you can give him a day off. See if that, re- or, you know, see if that resets some things and gets him back playing better quicker. You have all these options here, and, and I think, yeah, he will be more consistent. I, I think he'll have a big year. I think he'll have bigger numbers, but I think he's always going to be a little streaky. But that's okay. I mean, Will, you've been around the game, I mean, you you know that sometimes some guys are more kind of an everyday Eddie guy, and sometimes guys just you know they're they're in, they're they perform in bunches.
2: Yeah, Jordan Beck is first one that comes to mind. That dude was yeah. he would go on stretches where you couldn't get him out, and then he would go on stretches where it seemed like he couldn't find the ocean if he was in a boat. So yep. um and, and that guy's a first rounder. So obviously his his stretches of good definitely outweigh the bad. But yes. it, it's a streaky game. There's there's just one minuscule thing can throw you off in the worst way, and it just it's um it's, it's kind of like golf. You never really have it figured out. And as soon as you think you do, it just humbles you. So, um, you know, Zane's, Zane's not different from anybody for being streaky, but he yeah. is one of those guys who can be really hot or really cold.
1: And, Will, I think you've got to – I mean, fans were already excited about seeing this offense next season. I mean, th- this is a nice – consolation prize for ryan galaney signing with the white Sox. i I mean i I think that they're very similar players um galaney maybe has a little more natural pop in the bat which is even crazy to say because zane has hit and hit has hit his fair share of of home runs but zane has also played in the sec and has far more sec experience than galaney does uh, as well, I would say that maybe galani's a little more athletic in the field, uh, but they're very similar players. And uh, th- this lessens the blow of. Of Galani signing, and, and even when Galani signed, the thought process was Tennessee still has enough offensively. So the, the depth of this lineup, I mean, it, it's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> one through nine, obviously, but uh, honestly, like one through 14, 15, 16. I mean, they, they're going to have so many options off of the bench. And, and if there is a negative to, to Zane Denton coming back, and, and it's not Zane's fault, he doesn't need to worry about this, and, and it's a good problem to have, there's some younger guys that their at-bat totals are, are going to get squeezed a little bit. Like I, We talked about it, all three of us. We want to see more Kavar's tears. We want to see more Dylan Dryling. We want to see more Reese Chapman. Uh, and there are positions in the outfield to go win everyday jobs, but everybody can't win those jobs. Like th- there's going to be a guy or two or three that deserves more at bats than than they are going to get. Uh, because yes, Tennessee has a lot of depth, but also because Zane is is coming back. So uh, you got to be really excited about the depth of the lineup. But on the flip side of that, and again, this this is nobody's fault, and it's a great problem to have. But some of those young, exciting players that that we all want to see more of, that their at-bats are going to get squeezed out a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you look at, like, it goes for every sport. Like, if you want to compete at the level Tennessee baseball wants to compete at, you need to be going into every season thinking you almost have too many guys. If you, if you think you have too many guys or might have too many guys, that means you have enough guys. If you think you have enough guys, you don't have enough guys. And if you know you don't have enough guys, you're screwed. Like, you need – options you need guys and here's the thing if those guys if those young cats if they're good enough they're gonna play like tennessee wasn't planning on playing zakai ziegler as a freshman in basketball that was not the plan he just showed up and they were like whoa holy hell this kid's good like it it, you force yourself into getting opportunities right there's been guys for tennessee baseball too where you think maybe a couple years down the road we'll see and they show up and you're like oh wow put them in the weight room for a month and look at these guys they, they got to play. So, you know, Chapman tears the drilling all those guys, if they're good enough, they're going to play. That, there's no question about that. If they go out there, Tony Vitello's not into to charity cases. He 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 he's paid a lot of money and he's obs- he, the dude's obsessed. He's maniacal about winning. He wants to win. That's why Tennessee wants him. That's why it's a good fit. But because of that, you're always going to have guys that they're really good but they just they, they they're not good enough to play every day on your team. And if you're Tennessee, you know, you're, you're the LSUs, the Vandys, you want those problems. Because if you don't have those problems, you're, you're going to get wrecked in the SEC. Tennessee was lucky in some cases last season because the, the, the complete depth, the complete dearth of right-handed options that they had at the plate to do what they did still with zero, like, zero quality pinch-hitting options off the bench as a right-handed bat, like, they shouldn't have gone where they did when you look at it from that perspective. So yeah, I mean, you need more options. And if that means some guys get squeezed, man, I mean, that's big boy ball. It happens.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like the defensive line in football. Like you need, you need two or three platoons and, you know, every team in the sec has got an elite pass rusher, um, either on the edge or maybe an inside guy, but, your Georgias, your Alabamas, when when Florida was rolling, it just seemed like one guy after the next was was either a first-rounder or like a future first-rounder who was a young guy, and that's how it needs to be throughout the whole lineup in baseball um, just because of the way the game is. And, and Vitello, one of the things he's really good at that some coaches aren't as good at is non-conference and those early games is he's not afraid to rotate and give guys opportunities that have that have earned an opportunity. And then it sorts itself out. Then it's not on him at all. The person that wins the job makes it so clear and obvious. And then by the end of it, you've got the same 9, 10, maybe 11 guys that are in the lineup every day, and it was all decided by the players. And that's how it should be. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. If you, can, if you can have 16, 17 competitive options walking into the season – it'll narrow itself down um, just through through competition and guys taking over jobs and making it blatantly obvious where they need to be in the lineup every day.
1: And to, to put a bow on the offense, we'll, we'll spend the second half of this podcast af- after the upcoming break talking about pitching. I, I think there's far more question marks w- with the pitching staff, w- which is, Odd to say, and, and something that I never thought that I would say, that, that I would have more question marks surrounding the, the pitching staff than, than I do the lineup, but that, that seems to be the case, at least going into to fall ball, uh, and mostly because there, there's so much inexperience there, uh, probably equal talent uh, to to the, the lineup, uh, the pitching staff, that is. Um, but offensively and, and just kind of in the field, position player-wise, like obviously – where Zane and Amick and Simo and some other guys where they're going to play that that's a question mark but you know also like however that gets sorted out like Tennessee's still going to be okay unless something just crazy happens so in terms of like true question marks for me will on the offensive side of the ball it's it's shortstop uh, they they some breaks went against them uh, we, we talked about uh, Luke Hill deciding to, to go to Ole Miss, and that was partly because Tennessee elected not to take him. Um, but you, you're you left with – you have options there. I think some people are assuming that like there's just nothing at shortstop, <laughs> and, and that's not the case. It's just a, a bunch of new guys. Uh, you have a Juco kid coming in and, and Brad Key Lowry, and for those who are unfamiliar with his work, uh, he kind of reminds me of a Seth Stevenson. Uh, A shorter, smaller guy with a ton of speed. And Seth actually signed with Tennessee as a middle infielder. But then Jarrell Ortega had his season that he had at second base. And Cortland Lawson had his season that he had at shortstop. And because Evan Russell moved from left field to catcher, Tennessee needed a left fielder. Seth Stevenson is really, really fast. And they stuck him out in left field, and and that's kind of who Brad Brad Lowry reminds me of, just a smaller guy with a ton of speed. Uh, and JUCO bats can be hit or miss, so I'm very interested to see how he does in the fall. Uh, but he hit for a lot of average at, at JUCO uh, this past season, and um, I, I would, I guess, I would say that he's probably the front runner, uh, just because he has played some form uh, of college baseball. And you don't ever rule out a position change for anybody. But I just don't see a a position change that that would fill that hole right now for Tennessee. Christian Moore is not an everyday starting SEC shortstop. Uh, And and other than that, Tennessee doesn't have anybody returning. Uh, Jake Kendro, he transferred to Pittsburgh. Austin Jaslove transferred to Arkansas State. There's no returning middle infielders that, that you can move over there. Billy Amick's not a shortstop. Zane Denton's not a shortstop. Uh, Logan Chambers was not a shortstop, and and he's off to Missouri State, anyways. Uh, so you're going to have to rely on a newcomer, and that's why I say Brad Key Lowry is probably the front runner. Now they do have several freshmen coming in that are very, very talented. Uh, Dean Curley, uh, he's from California. He can play all over the field. Uh, a premier athlete has a ton of tools, and uh, you you hear about that stereo typical California vibe to a guy. Dean Curley has a Cali vibe uh, to him. Um, But he's, again, a premier athlete with a ton of tools. Uh, Blake Grimmer, he's from Michigan. He's coming in. Ariel Antigua, he was a big-time prospect, a big-time recruit, I guess I should say, uh, from Florida. Uh, I saw him. I've seen him on campus like the last two weeks, every single day, because the the freshmen are here working out, and and they're coming in and out of the building while we, we are there for football stuff. Uh, and then Camden Bates, I believe, also made it to campus from from Oklahoma. Uh, unfortunately, Carson Rucker did not make it in. Everybody knows that by now. I, I think he would have. He would have been the shortstop. Been a, a, <laughs> I think. I I don't think you can definitively say that, but he had a pretty good chance. Uh, and, and that that the reason I don't think you can definitively say that is because he was going to be a true freshman, which was yeah. leading me to my other point about like yes, you have three or four really really talented freshmen, exciting prospects will. But you just – you never know how freshmen are going to adapt when they get to campus. And, and it's really hard to contribute as a freshman in this league every single game, especially at the shortstop spot. So I think in a in a perfect world for, for everything to work out perfectly okay and, and not hit any speed bumps, Key Lowry, it seems like he's got to be the guy.
2: Yeah, maybe, but you
1: do see –
2: like the top guys come in and start in the SEC as freshmen. And so if we have one of those top guys and he makes it clear, then I'm perfectly okay with the freshman starting there. Here's the thing about fall baseball, and I hope V doesn't hear this, is like it really doesn't matter all that much, especially for your veteran guys. Like the whole point of the fall is – sharpen your skills and make changes with your body. The fall is for like fitness, conditioning, adding muscle, maybe working on, on a couple tweaks with things from a pitching side of it. Maybe it's a grip, maybe it's adding velocity. It's a lot of weight room stuff. And for hitters, maybe it's they're trying to make a swing change, but it really doesn't matter all that much in terms of winning a job. The jobs are won in January and February, right when the season starts. Now, I'll say that for all other eight positions and the three starting pitching roles, shortstop absolutely matters this fall. And, you know, there always seems to be like one or two positions each year in the fall where it, those are kind of the ones that, that you really want to see how things might shake out. Um, and so I'm with you. I, I would like Lowry to be one of those, one of those juco guys that hits maybe your next Liam Spence, um, or Ricky Martinez, um, but I I really wouldn't be wouldn't be against seeing a, a high end you know high upside freshman and maybe go through some growing pains. But by the time we get to June, we've got a sophomore stud shortstop because by the time you get to summer, they're not freshmen anymore. They're freshmen in February, but when you've got fifty games under your belt in college baseball, you're not a freshman. So I'm cool with however it shakes out. But I will say it's going to be impossible for us to give any sort of lean or. Um, you know, accurate uh, prediction until we go watch a couple fall scrimmages. So um, that's that's certainly the most intriguing position to go see who's out there for how long and how does it look when we when we start playing some fall ball.
0: Yeah, I think I'll be clear about this. Tony Vitello does not need a single bit of advice from me on how to do his job. He's doing it quite well, and if he needs to listen to somebody, it's not me. But I have a feeling. And I hope he does this. I want, if I'm looking for Tennessee for that position, every single thing with me for that position starts defensively. It just does. And if you've got a guy, especially because, you know, whoever's over there at third, whether it's Denton or Amick or second, whether it's Denton, Amick, Moore, you're you're not like having gold glove caliber defensive players at third and second probably. They're going to be solid players, but they're not going to be Oh my gosh, good defensive players. And just on top of that, you just need a really, really good shortstop. Tennessee's going to have enough from the other eight hitters in the lineup pretty consistently that I don't think that's going to be a problem. And like, like for most of last year, for a lot of last year, you know, Jordan Thompson couldn't hit anything and still was LSU's everyday shortstop. That team won an Addy because it was okay. I think he had what, maybe one or two hits the whole time they were in Omaha and they played like 100 games there. Didn't matter. His defensive performance was consistently maybe one error, but was consistently fantastic. And all eight teams that were in Omaha last season, all eight teams had an incredible defensive shortstop. All eight teams. We sat there and watched them. Ben. Every single team had a dude where if you hit the ball over there, you're out. You're out. That's just how it is. Like he's ma- and and he's going to take. He's not just going to make all the plays. He's going to take hits away from you. And if I'm Tennessee, I find whoever I can do, whether it's Lowry or Freshman, whoever it is, maybe somebody after fall ball somewhere else transfers in. Don't rule that out as a possibility. It's happened before. It can happen again. I just – I think, one, I wonder why Kendro left again. That had to be almost a personal thing as much as anything because I liked him as a prospect. I thought he had a chance to be a pretty solid player, and I still think he does. But if I'm Vitello, I look at that and I say – I don't care. I'd rather you not hit 200, but if you hit 200 and you get a 310, 320 OBP, but you're an excellent defensive shortstop, I will take that trade all day, all day at that position. So that's where I would start looking for everything, is a guy who can handle that defensively every single day. You find that guy, then he's got warts other places, that happens. But you can't have a guy out there who can't field.
1: No, you, you can, and, and, and they won't. Uh, I, I think if you're a Tennessee fan, it, it may be a big question mark in, in early August, but Will said this on one of the, the last couple of podcasts we recorded. They have nailed the shortstop position practically since they've been here. Yep. Uh, was Ricky shortstop in their first season? Or was that? No, him? it was Andre Lipsius. That's right, Andre Lipsius, before he moved and played seemingly every single position. Yes. Uh <laughs> in the infield which is about to get him called up for the Tigers as well his versatility mm-hmm. um, but they, they've nailed it I mean Andre for a freshman played well that season uh, and then Ricky came in and was terrific uh, and then Liam and, and Cortland and, and Maui like they've nailed the shortstop position since they've been here uh, and, and it's been pretty amazing that they've been able to do so with with how many different guys that they've had to replace, uh, with Ricky being a Juco guy and Liam being a Juco guy and Cortland being a develop, developmental guy, uh, Maui being a one-year player because he was a transfer, uh, Lipsius not being necessarily a true shortstop. Uh, so I think that has to give you confidence as as well if if you're a Tennessee fan, and uh, I think West makes a great point like that you can, you can sacrifice offense at that position because theoretically you're going to have so much offense literally everywhere else <laughs> and guys sitting on the bench, uh, ready to hit as well. So, uh, I'm fascinated to see how that position uh, plays out here in the fall and, uh, in the early spring as well. Uh, we still have a ton to discuss here on the podcast. We need to we need to talk some pitching, which I know Will Heflin's getting that crackhead itch over there. Look at him. He's doing backflips.
0: He's so excited.
1: He keeps leaning out of the camera shot. I think it's because he's having to scratch that wrist over there because he wants to talk some pitching. So we're going to take a break here on the podcast and come back and talk pitching here on the Diamond Vols podcast. Money! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits
0: you.
1: Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I know it's the middle of fall camp. I know Tennessee basketball just wrapped up a 10-day exhibition tour in Italy and looked really, really good. But hey, Tennessee baseball just wrapped up its offseason very late in the process. So thank you, Tony, for taking my summer away. I really, really uh, appreciate it um but no we've got a ton to discuss and, and I know a lot of people have been asking us to do it so I, I know it is it is wanted out there I, I never thought that uh, an early August podcast would be wanted by Tennessee fans but uh that's just a credit to, to what that baseball program over there and Lindsey Nelson has built over almost the last decade now so uh before we dive in To the rest of our conversation, would like to take a moment to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. Will, Wes, and myself would greatly appreciate it if you went and did that. Will, we will obviously let you lead off with the pitching. Uh, And I guess before we get into the starting pitching conversation we do need to add that tennessee has picked up a transfer pitcher since the last time we spoke and one kind of out of nowhere and, and out of the blue uh, cal left-hander chris stamos uh, he's an older guy been around the block he, he's been to d3 baseball in illinois he, he's played juco ball uh, in california uh, he went and got a, a very very impressive degree from cal berkeley and uh, he, he's a lefty pitcher like yourself and has a, a four pitch mix, uh, has a fastball uh, that he told me was his favorite pitch. He likes to throw it up in the zone and, and thinks it plays up in the zone uh, pretty well. He also throws a curveball, a slider, and a changeup. And his numbers weren't all that great at Cal the past two seasons. Uh, he, he went one and one uh in 2022 so two seasons ago with an 849 era and 11 innings of work Uh, he had a a 15 strikeouts to 13 walks this past season uh, was a little bit better for him Uh, he he bumped that era down from from around that eight number to a, a five number so uh signs of improvement and we had somebody on our board a couple of weeks ago when he announced his commitment uh, on August, or I guess it was the weekend prior to August 1st, but uh, somebody who was roommates uh, back in the day with Cal's uh, current head coach uh, when they were playing college baseball. And I'm sorry I'm blanking on your name, or else I would certainly uh, give you a shout out. Uh, but hey, you do know who you are. You know who I'm talking about if if you're listening to this. But uh, he posted on our board at the checkerboard at Govalls 24 7 that uh, he, he asked his buddy and former teammate, roommate and current Cal coach, uh, his thoughts on Stamos and, and uh, said that he he had like a, a really bad outing or two that that kind of made the numbers look worse uh, than what they actually were. Uh, and, and this is how, you know, he, he caught the eye of, of Frank Anderson and, and this coaching staff will uh, his K rate is is pretty good. Uh, he he has some some nice stuff. Maybe the stuff doesn't match uh, the numbers in terms of ERA and, and some of those other statistics. Um, but he, he is a guy that, that can pick up strikeouts, and uh, we've seen several transfers come in w- with high ERAs, uh, but a good K rate and and some good stuff. And and Frank Anderson get them turned around.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. You're not you're not ever gonna scoff at having a a lefty come in and and bolster seems like he's got some starting experience or, or relief experience. So it'd be interesting to see um, kind of how he ends up fitting in. I'm sure it'll be somewhere um, and it'll be up to him as to how much, but not a, not a bad guy to grab and, and kind of let him come in and see what happens if you will. Cause we've seen that song and dance. You you've got somebody who maybe struggled somewhere else, but the town is there. They come in with Frank Anderson and it's like, boom, here they are. So it's a nice addition. Um, another addition, or or I guess somebody who's coming back who was on the team last year is another lefty in Kirby. The stash is back, um, which I think some people could let go a little bit underrated yep. and maybe not realize how big of a deal that is um, because he's not going to be your Friday night guy. But here's something about a Frank Anderson staff that people maybe don't realize is there have been very few blown leads in the past couple of years, very few games where maybe we're up seven to one or seven to two that just kind of end very anticlimactic and also games where maybe Tennessee's down like five, nothing or six, nothing. And all of a sudden it's six, six and we make it a game again. The reason for guys like Kirby who yes they can be a matchup guy they can give you an inning in a really close ball game but also I don't know if there's many guys that are better than him in like a 6-2 game because he's perfect for it. He come in he comes in he never walks anybody. All you want at that point in the game is to make them earn it. So for me, Kirby helps you in that A, you're not going to have a big blown lead that can really bite you in the butt later on. And B maybe you're a little bit deeper and the effect of the innings that he gives you isn't as easily trackable as say a Drew Beam but it just makes you better in that you can save somebody else for a later date or you know maybe he's the guy that you get to save because he works through the lineup very quickly like it's just it's just i, I don't think you can you can really put your finger on how much value he brings but I know it's a lot. Um and so for me, I would like to see Kirby, you know, gain one or two miles an hour, um maybe maybe change his body a little bit and get a little bit more quick twitch, then you could see him take on a completely different role and, and go through the lineup once or twice and and really be a, a an asset for us because he's just a guy who really knows how to pitch and can get you outs when you need him. So you know, and he's also a great locker room guy. He's just a good guy to have around on campus. So I think those two lefties are are certainly exciting for me, being a left-hander myself. Um, and I don't I've never thought a baseball team got worse for adding lefties, but I think the Kirby one is huge for the for the staff as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got what, I think ninety-five career appearances and a two point seven six ERA. Like that's that that that's that's that'll, not, work. That, that'll
1: play. You'll take that, right? And, and he's going to blow by Redmond Walsh uh, for the all time career appearances. Yes. Uh, I believe Ryan Shumpert tweeted that he was like 11 or or 12 away. So if he avoids injury, he is going to absolutely blow, blow past that record that, that Redmond set.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that, and I'm glad that Will brought this point up because I think it's, it, it, it opens the door for me to say something that I probably wouldn't have said otherwise which is cuz cuz first off look at me physically like I'm like I'm I'm 40 years old now I can't like I can't say anything about anybody but I've wondered the past couple of years like they have such a great strength and conditioning program there why maybe Kirby's body hasn't changed more than it has because if he could kick up just a couple of miles per hour just a little bit quicker twitch then all of a sudden that curveball looks even sharper, right? It's even harder to adjust to because you're you you can't just you know the fastball you, you, it just it plays differently. And he he's obviously fine the way he is. But you know last season he he again was in that role where in big games he would come in for one guy or two guys, and you know maybe maybe if he has a big off season in that way he can go out in style and and have a bigger role. I mean I we'll we'll, we'll see, but um, I I think with with, with Stamos, who first off, uh, you know, we need to say that I don't think he's related to John Stamos. He is from Pasadena, so maybe he is actually related to John Stamos. I may have just made that up. This kid is from Pasadena, California, and his last name is Stamos. So let's not rule out the possibility. Let's not rule it out. He could be a former uh, Full House star, hair model, and Beach Boys drummer. So we'll, we'll have to look into that. But you're talking about a guy who, if Frank Anderson wants him, then everybody should be like, okay, cool. I mean, there are a few guys in the game who, when they say, like, yeah, I want this guy, that you, you you just shouldn't question it. He's one of those guys that if he wants a guy, you're like, okay, he probably wants him for a reason. And you look at his numbers, he did get blown up a couple times. like in, I think Oklahoma last year blew him up. That's a you know a solid program uh, that, that had a lot of guys who could play ABC baseball and really kind of give you a long inning. So, I mean, he had a couple bad performances. He also had some really, really nice ones. So, I mean, he's a big kid, 6'4", 6'5", lefty. Obviously, he has a good K rate. Um, if they want him, then I think people should let them take him and see what what happens. I mean, I, it, the numbers don't look great. They, they don't. Even his high school numbers were like a 4.8 or 4.9 ERA, which you're in SoCal, maybe that's just a tough place to play. It it just is. But if Tennessee wants him, there's a reason for that. And I think the pitching in general, the story for me, Ben, is that and, – and obviously for Will, too I, – I think – to me, it's like the past couple of years, it's not like it's been an easy button because you have to develop those guys and you have to manage innings and you have to deal with you know some egos, even though most of them are really nice kids. You still got to deal with egos and time management and in- inning management. But it's not been the hardest job in the world once the season started, right? Like you had to make a big change in the middle of last season, but you've kind of had your guys and you're out there rolling with them and you're having one of the top one or two ERAs in the country for what, two or three consecutive years now. I think next season will be a little bit more like it was earlier in, in in the tenure when you got a couple guys you know you can count on, and then you got some guys who maybe they'll be really good. Maybe we don't know. Like I don't think Tennessee's going to be in the top two or three nationally in ERA next season. I, I just don't. Um, you look at like the staff at Wake. Sorry to say that, but you know the staff at Wake, some other places. There's the, are some dudes there. And lSU's it's got also the ACC. It's also very true. There's no question about that. But I, I think it's like which puts the numbers into perspective even more for what Tennessee's done the past few years. It's just absurd the numbers. And I don't I'm not going to put anything past Frank Anderson staff, but I think we need to maybe adjust, calibrate, and understand that, like, if Tennessee ends up being like top 10 nationally next season in the ERA and all those categories, that's still tremendous. Uh, but it may not feel like it's just ridiculous like it has been. So, um, and you hope that your offense can, can outplay that. So, if they had gotten a shortstop, if they had gotten Holman, if those things had happened, then you have no complaints. You have none. Now you have a couple things where, hey, guess what? You got to live like everybody else at a couple positions. You got to figure it out. Big, you know, no one's going to cry for you you still got a really, really good roster and a bunch of really good arms and a bunch of guys at the top of your rotation that people would kill to have. So go work with them, go build something, and I think they'll be fine.
1: There's a ton of talent on this roster, and obviously, like you said, Wes, you trust Frank Anderson to, to figure things out. Uh, and not only do you trust Frank Anderson, but as long as the, the pitching staff is top 15, top 20 nationally, and that that's being very conservative. Like the offense is going to hit enough to where Tennessee is probably in Omaha <laughs> again. Yeah. If if the offense does what we expect it to, and, and the pitching staff is top fifteen, top twenty nationally, which again is really really good. Like they're they're most likely an Omaha team unless they just have a bad weekend of, of baseball in a regional or a super regional. Uh, with Stamos, he picked Tennessee over Florida. So and Florida just played for a national championship. So obviously there is with a really good pitching staff,
0: with a really good pitching staff.
1: Obviously, there is some talent there in that arm that people see. Uh, And and he is one. I mean, I'll I'll be the first to admit, I do believe he was a backup plan. Like, I think there's a reason he committed at the end of July, kind of out of nowhere. Um, But like you take take an arm that that appears to have some talent in it and it's a lefty. He's a, a veteran. He's he's been around the block. When I spoke to him, uh, I mean, he I asked him like three questions, and he just spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke. I mean, he he's just a he seemed to to be a, a really outgoing person uh, and one that will fit in well uh, to to that locker room. You you never know for sure, but he he seems like a really likable guy just from my twenty minutes of of talking to him uh, about his decision to come to Tennessee, but. Uh, although the point that I was getting to, although he was a late July addition commitment, uh, he is one that Tennessee reached out to very very early uh, when uh, he he entered the portal, whenever that was in in June. Like Tennessee reached out uh, right away, and I mean he was immediately interested, uh, and he told me that he picked Tennessee over Florida because Tennessee called him first and, and was more. Uh, proactive in communicating with him uh, throughout his process uh, of going through the portal. So I, I thought that was really cool. He had a bunch of really, really neat quotes. Uh, and, and I wrote this story on August 1st. So if you missed it, uh, you have to go back a little little ways to, to find it. But but it is there if you want to read it and missed it. Uh, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, he was kind of in awe when Tony Vitella reached out to him. He, he was saying that there was no way I wasn't going to take tennessee's phone calls and i was lucky enough that tony vitello was texting me this is a guy i was watching on tv coach a bunch of badasses so i'm absolutely uh, going to entertain it so I, I thought that was pretty unique and he had several other uh big time quotes as as well and and something that i always find funny will you know firsthand like all, all of these other schools want to negatively recruit against Tennessee and, and the culture that they perceive and and things that they see on social media and clips from games and uh, they're, the, they're the bad boys of college baseball. They're, they're not good people, yet people are still signing up wanting to play for this program Uh, and uh, what you see is not necessarily what it appears that this Tennessee baseball is the definition of don't judge a book by its cover Um, because when you open up the Tennessee baseball book you see a lot of really really good people Uh, and it's part of the reason they've been able to to, uh, not part of a big reason they've been able to build the culture that they have uh, and why they've been able to produce and, and win so many games. He, he also said that he had no red flags about Tennessee. I didn't even have yellow flags uh, about Tennessee. Uh, I felt a sense of loyalty to my interest in Tennessee because I have a gut feeling that this is just right for me, and there's so many great opportunities, both academically and athletically. So Stamos may prove to be you know, a very, very small contributor, but when they took him after Holman decides to go to to LSU because he was enamored uh, with the LSU brand. Again, I said it time and time again uh, that I I thought Tennessee put itself in best position as possible, uh, developed a great relationship with uh, Holman, Luke, and his dad. uh, And and ultimately, I I do think that some around Luke Holman wanted him to go to Tennessee uh, and pitch under Frank Anderson. But, he really was enamored by the brand of LSU baseball. And you you can certainly understand that uh for those who, who follow college baseball, especially after them winning a national championship. But I do think him deciding to go to LSU uh pushed Tennessee to to at least add another pitcher and then just kind of see how it how it works out uh from there. So I I like the pickup. It may prove to be nothing, but I also think that there's maybe a bigger ceiling on this than we realize within the moment just because of an ERA uh, here or there. And and ultimately it goes back to me trusting Frank Anderson. One thing that I really wanted to say about Kirby, Will, you know, obviously adding him, the pitcher, is big. I think the, the most important part of Kirby deciding to return for – uh, his COVID year, his free year of eligibility, and, and uh, there were some people asking, like, why is this news? And, and I get that. I mean, he was always likely uh, to, to end up back at Tennessee for another year, but I asked him in the tunnel in Omaha after, the, after they lost to LSU and their season came to an end. I was like, hey, do you, I know y'all just lost, and I'm sorry to ask yeah, you this. Sorry, right now, but- sorry, but yeah. I, I mean, unfortunately, I have a job to do in, in that moment. And I asked him and he said that he did not know what he was going to do. So I, I while I do think it was likely that he was going to return, obviously, I mean, Kirby Connell is as much of a Tennessee baseball player as, as you're going to find. Like, what else is 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 he going to go do if he has another free year of eligibility? But I do think like Camden Sewell in offseason ago, he was considering other options and, and maybe moving on to, to the next phase of his life and, and things of that nature. Uh, But ultimately, he's back. And the most important part of that to me, Will, is, yes, he's a valuable pitcher on the mound. I think his leadership and his voice is even more valuable. Uh, You saw it this past offseason passing the torch to Camden Sewell. And then now I think Camden Sewell is kind of passing the torch to Kirby to, to really lead what is a young room with a lot of new faces and and yes, there are familiar faces and a guy like Drew beam, like he maybe needs to be the one that really is the leader of the group. But just with so many freshmen that you're probably going to have to rely on, or even younger arms that you're going to have to rely on Kirby, helping them bring along, And helping set the culture and show them how to go about their business. I think that's more important than anything he's going to do on the mound. And I've already seen it with my own eyes Uh, on the practice field while we're over on campus for football stuff. It was Tennessee media day uh, and Tennessee football trotted out like five football players all at once in the indoor facility, sat them down in chairs. We all spoke to them, whatever. And behind them, I'm sure people took videos and you can see them it behind them, the football players, was the 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 baseball team with Q and it looked to be. I mean, most guys are off campus right now, but all the freshmen are here. And one of the guys running with all the freshmen was Kirby. Kirby was in the mix running, chatting it up with guys. I, I think that's just a, a sign of, of the leadership that he can provide to a pitching staff that again probably going to be relying on a on a bunch of inexperienced new arms
2: yeah and sorry to to go off point here but you touched on something i want to go back to about people signing up to play for tennessee even though the the maybe the outside view is like oh they they don't act right or they don't play the game right blah 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 i think what people need to understand is that the program is still extremely blue collar and yes we've won a lot and things are getting nice but the reason guys are able to act and celebrate, they want to celebrate on the baseball field is what they've done for six, seven months to earn that right. And that's go to class, that's you know, make good grades, that's work hard on practice days and, and make good decisions on Friday nights and Saturday nights. And then Vitello lets you be you. And I think you know if you look at the the only thing that's coming out of Tennessee baseball right now is, high performing major leaguers and minor leaguers, successful doctors, engineers, businessmen and even a couple now fathers and, and just good people and i think what people need to realize is baseball is a game and and he allows people to have fun but you know the the type of human that is coming out of tennessee baseball is is very high level so people may not like us and that's fine we don't like other programs that do well either that's the fun of sport but I think for people to be like, why would you want to go play there? It's just an is an ignorant um, opinion to have. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly in favor of Tennessee baseball, but I also know that there's other programs around the world that I would be completely fine with sitting my son or my brother or my cousin to um, because of the way they're ran and the type of the people that are coming out of there. So Tennessee is certainly – towards the top of that list. But I agree with everything in in regard to Kirby. I think he's a, um, he's a great guy to have in the locker room and will certainly help us get outs on the mound. But in terms of starting pitching um, it's interesting now that we're, we're kind of, we're, you know, not getting Holman, you kind of reevaluate and see um, where you're kind of at my prediction going into the fall, which won't be right. It, it never will be right. It'll always change. Um, even when the season starts, it's going to change if as we've seen every single year, um, would be drew beam Xander Seacrest in the middle and AJ Russell, um, on Sunday to, to sandwich the lefty in between the two power righties. That's just my random prediction. And I think, um, anything outside of a top 10 staff, from Frank Anderson would really really surprise me I don't think it even matters who's here I think just the the system that they've created it's almost like a, a really good offense in football like we'll, we'll take coach Heupel's offense for example they're not going to be outside the top 10 it really doesn't matter who's a quarterback who's at running back who's a receiver it does matter you have to have talent but they recruit well enough to have the talent to where the system and the philosophies. And the way they go about it every single day is going to produce a top 10 pitching staff. And I I would be really surprised to see anything less than what we've been uh, accustomed to seeing the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. I think that you're probably looking at, I mean, we, we, we just know like it's going to be a shock if Drew beam's not Friday night guy. And again, I'm still saying Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. I know it's not always like that now, but I, for me, it's just always been, and always will be. You talk about him in terms of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I've got probably I – th- I think Friday is beam. I think Sunday is Russell. Saturday, man, I got no idea. I've always been really, really high on White Evans, and I know some people are not. Some people are. I just think when you got like a big donkey who can shove the, at that velocity and has that kind of stuff and can, at his best, just kind of rip the Cape Cod a new one, I-, I think that's a guy who needs to get himself in the mix and let's see – what he's able to do in the offseason. Um, they've also got other guys. I mean, I think Seacrest is going to be in the mix. Certainly, um, there's been other guys who have been bullpen arms before who might see themselves as guys who should have bigger roles. You know, a couple guys who have some pretty good stuff who redshirted last season. I mean, there, there's going to be guys that they're bringing in who are big, pro- you know, good prospects. I they're going to have plenty of competition there. And I think what people forget is that that's sort of normal. You know, like the past couple of years you've just sort of known like who it's going to be these four guys are all kind of studs and here's how it's going to shake out and it's normal though to go into a year when you're not freakish to have a couple spots where you're like okay, let's go let's go fight this out and see who wins it. Like that's that's a normal thing that even really good baseball teams have to do. So there's no I don't think there's any reason for for concern there at all. I mean, I think there's you know maybe heightened sense of awareness Because you're going to have to have some guys that, you know, I mean, it's a little bit more uncomfortable, right? Like as much as, and I'll just throw, you know, Seacrest out for an example because, you know, Will brought him up and I think he's a guy who definitely is very much in the mix for one of those spots. If you've got him on the mound, like you're going to have to get used to as a coaching staff, him being a guy who's on the mound when a big game is on the line and matters, Right, like you're just you have to get through that. He has to get through it as a player. You have to get through that as a coach, being like, okay. In the past, like I would be pulling somebody else in to do this role. No, no, this is his now. You have to kind of adjust your mind to where it works that way. But that's how most people have always done it. So I, I, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. And as to the whole character stuff, I mean, Griffin Merritt said it really well last year. Guys in the dugout everywhere at every program. I don't care where you they're the same. Baseball players are a different breed it's a different yes, culture you go anywhere you go into any clubhouse any level of the game beyond like pee wee, you know little league stuff any you go into any clubhouse any program any professional organization you're going to get the same vibe more or less more or less like it's going to be different some places but it's the same kind of you know, combination of like future engineers and like then future first round draft picks and guys who are really, really smart and guys who are kind of like, maybe not the smartest guy you'll ever see, but, but they understand baseball like, nope, like they just get it and they understand it. And you got guys from the West coast guys from, you got guys who are, can be kind of prickly. And then some guys who are just always kind of for the most part in a good mood, Tennessee, was not much different and is not much different behind the scenes from any other program that you're going to go see at that level. It's just that occasionally there's that little bit of edge that they'll go places that maybe others won't go. Few Others will, but, but, but not many others um, because, as Will really intelligently pointed out, you have to earn the right to do that. You earn the right to do that, and then it's like, all right, you know, don't take your pants off, but other than that, go out there and be you, bro. You've earned it, you got good grades, you're a good kid. You you've put in a ton of work in the, the strength and conditioning program, you know. Go out there and compete, man. If you're gotta be, if you gotta be a little pricklish occasionally, so be it. Just go out there and compete and show us what you got. So I think that's that's a big thing that Tennessee kind of put itself in that position and opened itself up for that criticism. But once you peel behind the surface, it's not like that's a program of psychos any more than any other program is it's just that sometimes the coach joins into
1: yeah People can, go ahead will well i just
2: wanted to make one quick point on the on the starting pitching um discussion i'm i'm agreeing with you Wes. i think i just wanted to point out like if we were talking in august of 2021 i don't think drew beam's name would have been mentioned correct but then he ends up being the the freshman of the year and the yep. Sunday guy, so it's totally normal to go into the season having question marks um, in those roles for sure. So I just think, you know, that year ended ended up being a combination of Tidwell, um, Burns, Beam, and um, Dolander, um, which I don't think. You know, you maybe could have seen Burns because of the hype coming out of high school um, and Doe Lander was a, was a transfer. Actually. Beam
1: was a total surprise. Beam
2: was a total surprise, and I think there's a there's always a total surprise. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but certainly uh, plenty of opportunity for innings to be earned um, when we get to that point.
1: And, and not that Beam was, like, unknown. Like, people knew who Drew Beam was as a baseball prospect and I knew that Tennessee was very, very excited to, to receive his commitment and, and get him to campus to play for them. Um, and you started to hear good things about him in the fall. But even at that point in the fall, nobody expected him to be the national freshman of the year, like you mentioned, Will. Uh, and I'd even go back to that 21 season. Uh, you were on that team, and so maybe you knew about it obviously before us the media knew about it Um, but we didn't really know about chad dallas until right before the season started nobody i i feel like chad dallas kind of came out of nowhere uh as well i mean we knew that he was a juco guy coming in and and he was pitching in the fall and and he he looked fine um but nobody thought that he was going to be that game one tone setter that that Tony uh talked about all season long Tony loved how Chad Dallas just kind of set the vibe for the weekend that that's why he was the game one Friday night guy uh, and we didn't really know that until right before the season started so uh there there's always that element of it for sure I I do think will because Holman decides to go elsewhere and like Wes says like in a in a perfect world, Holman comes here uh, and like there's less question marks around the pitching staff, especially the starting rotation. uh, Whereas now you got to piece the puzzle pieces together a little bit more than, and maybe not even a little bit, quite a bit more than, than you would have had, had Holman come. There's a bunch of new faces and, and there are several guys that you're confident in, but in terms of building the depth that you need to go win an SEC championship, or to make it back to Omaha and potentially win a national championship. I do think some of these young guys, because I tell you, there are a lot of young guys coming in with legitimate talent, uh, whether it's Matthew Dallas, Derek Schaefer, Braden Sharp, Bryson Thacker. I could go on and on and on. Um, they they need some of those freshmen, whether it's one or two or in a perfect world three, that they need a couple of those guys to, to step up and, and be contributors like Drew Beam, like Chase Burns were as freshmen. And, and I'm not saying that they need to go win SEC freshman of the year and, and be a national freshman of, of the year, but be serviceable, be what AJ Russell was this past season. Contribute is what, the, what I think that they're going to need from some of these faces that, that you're not expecting these these younger guys you, you hate to put that much weight on, on these young guys' shoulders right out of the gates um, but I think in terms of building championship level depth they're going to need some of these younger inexperienced guys to contribute
2: well and I think yeah let's not forget the Andrew Lindsay story go ahead Wes
0: no 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 no. you first
2: I mean we we got a, a top 10 pick um, we've got several several um draft picks all across the staff and our friday guy is um the guy Frank Anderson pulled from being away from the game and he ends up being a uh, a fourth rounder and just absolutely disgusting stuff and being the tone setter and to your point about Chad Dallas is um he started the game one in 2020 and was our was our friday guy because Crochet was hurt so no one saw that coming even within um, found out crochet couldn't go. So he was like, it was, it was, I'll never forget. It, it was in a little team huddle. And um, we were kind of all waiting on him to announce who was going to start that first game. And he used some bad words and this and that cheese Dallas. And everybody went crazy. Cause he was just a perfect tone setter locker room guy and not to mention, he's pretty good at pitching. So um, yeah, you need a guy like that. You need a guy like Andrew Lindsay. So wouldn't surprise me if there's, somebody in the woodworks ready to be that next guy this year.
0: Well, and think about it. You've got what, uh, maybe six months or however many months it is. And, and, and you're going to be spending those six months. If you're a Tennessee, you're, you're a new pitcher. You're going to be spending the next six months doing six, seven months, doing some combination of working out, like lifting weights, running, um, working with Frank Anderson, and then pitching to maybe the best lineup in college baseball. That's what you're going to be doing for the next six to seven months. Like, it's like, hey, welcome to Knoxville, son. Here is uh, here's Christian Moore, here's Blake Burke, Cannon Peebles, Billy Amick, Zane Denton, like Kavar Steers, Dylan Dryling. Go on and on. Go get these suckers out. And you know what? They might beat you up a little bit at first. That's normal. They beat up a lot of guys, but you're going to eventually learn how to pitch to them. And if you learn how to pitch to those guys and find ways to get those guys out, maybe, just maybe, you'll find a way to get other teams out too. And that's part of it, right? I mean, when you talk about ironing, sharpening iron, it's not just like, you know, Amick and Denton competing with a spot or, you know, Tears and Dryling and Chapman competing for a spot or the 17 catchers on Tennessee's roster competing for a spot. It's not that. It it, it is that. But it's also those guys facing the other side. It's the pitchers facing the hitters. And how many Tennessee hitters the past couple of years, maybe the fact that Tennessee's offense is, has gotten so many guys drafted, maybe part of that is they've been going against Doander, Beam, Burns, Lindsey, you know, Walsh. All the, they've been going against these guys over the past couple of years, like all of those dudes. They've been going against them every day in, in, in practice and camp. So, yeah, you would like to think that whoever you're getting now is going to be a different-looking player in six or seven months if they're healthy because – they're either going to you know, get better or they're going to get the hell kicked out of them all the time and they're going to get frustrated and go somewhere else. Those are your options, right?
1: At the end of the day, in Frank Anderson, we trust is, is what Tennessee fans are saying, and and it's absolutely what I believe, and I, Wes has already said it, and I definitely know Will Heflin uh, bel- believes in that thought process. So I, I think it's cool to see how the, the program has changed uh, since Tony has gotten here right. Like these conversations – they're based off of uh, potentially winning a championship and and not getting to the NCAA tournament, right? It's it's like how the conversation around Rick Barnes and and the basketball program has changed. When we have these conversations, it's not about, okay, what needs to happen for Tennessee to get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, because now basketball has reached, I believe, five, six straight years, which is, I, I believe, the second longest streak in, in the program's history. Now it's about, okay, what needs to happen for them to get back to kind of where they have been, you know, that Sweet 16 range, but also what needs to happen for them to get over the hump. And, and that's now where uh, Tony Vitello and his program and Josh Heupel in his program. Last year's season under Heupel was great, 11-2. and two, You beat Florida, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, others. Uh, but you still didn't win a championship. So what needs to happen to get back to where you were, but also what needs to happen to get over the hump and win a championship. And, and that's kind of where we're at with Tennessee baseball. Like we know basketball is going to be good. We know football is going to be good. We know baseball is going to be good under its current setting and circumstances and culture, but how good are they going to be? That That's kind of the conversation that w- we're having without realizing that we're having is is like Tennessee baseball is going to be good, really good. Like I I think they're a top five, top 10 preseason team right off the jump, but they do have some question marks and, and how those questions are are answered uh, and what guys step up or don't step up. That's going to dictate uh, how far they go in the NCAA tournament and whether or not they get back to Omaha or or whether or not they, they get over the hump and win a championship. So they're all really, really fun conversations to have. There's so much talent, uh, in this program right now, and, and I'm really excited to to get out there in, in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Uh, that will be being renovated over the course of the fall. Uh, excited to get out there and, and watch these guys scrimmage and, and play against one another and, and try and find some answers. So uh, the, the season will be here, before we know it, on February 18th, and uh, we will have plenty of coverage leading up to the season uh, throughout this fall semester uh, and throughout the, the winter months, the, the baseball pods are probably going to die down uh, a, a little bit, quite a bit, because football and and then basketball. Um, but it's not going to go MIA until early February. We'll, we'll drop in here and there uh, with some pods and especially once they start going with with fall ball, uh, talking uh, kind of what we're seeing and, and whatnot. So uh, we'll appreciate your time, my friend, and look forward to, to chopping it up again soon. Yeah, thank you, guys. Go Vols. Wesley, thank you, sir.
0: You know what, Ben? You're just so welcome. No one in the history of the world has ever been more welcome than you are right now, so you're welcome.
1: (laughs) Well, I certainly appreciate that. And for Wes Rucker and Will Heflin, I am Ben McKee, and this has been another edition of the Diamond Vols Podcast on GoVols247.com.
0: There's that button. And now I can say, For less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs. And that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is again, less than one mediocre lunch per month you get access in perpetuity to Paramount+, Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount+, Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That—that That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one m- lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to govals 247com